You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. Phone lines are open. Number to call 334-321-1390. Once again, the number to call 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Find Jacob on Twitter at Jacob underscore Hillman 3. Guys, how y'all doing today? Levi, what's up, my man? Oh, it's a great day. I'm excited. I mean, we got some Auburn basketball tonight. The sun's out. I mean, you got a nice 69 degrees outside. I am here for all of this great weather that we've got going on. The weather's beautiful, but I could be better. Yeah, there, there's a little bit going on here that we that it's got us a little bit shaken, but we're going to hope and power through this. Yeah, Tiger Woods involved in a serious car accident this morning. Hopefully, hopefully he's okay. His agent released a statement saying he is currently in surgery. As a big Tiger Woods fan, I, first of all, am devastated from a golfing standpoint, as a, from a fan standpoint, but from those first reports, I was just hoping he was alive and he was okay, and it seems like right now he's going to be okay, but as far as his golf career goes, I, I don't know where this could go. And if you see pictures of the wreckage, yeah, it looks pretty serious. A rollover accident. I, I, I think I read where someone co- commented on a tweet talking about the, the where it happened, Coming down a big hill, there's a light in the middle of it. So I kind of imagine maybe the the light turned red and he jerked the steering wheel, slammed on the brakes. Who knows what happened? Because it looks like he kind of went off into a ditch. So I got gotcha. you. Well, no, there's not, not not a lot of information other than the fact he was in a wreck, serious injuries. He's in surgery now. And the media members at B will keep us up to date on that. I'm sure. I mean, it's I'm even seen as far reaching as Adam Schefter tweeting yeah. about it and reporting on it. So. I mean, this, I mean, this just happened. This happened as we're, you know, well, me and Jacob are pulling into this. St- I mean, well, the think, reports come out as, yeah. we're, as we're pulling into the studio yeah. for sure. So, so we'll know more about that. Probably, we might even know more about it throughout the show. So we'll try to keep you guys updated as well from what we're hearing. I mean, it's a big story, you know, one of the biggest athletes of all time. And we're just hoping that everything's okay. We're going to keep them in our thoughts for sure. Tough news out there in L.A. for Tiger Woods. Headed off to, I, I think Jacob, you already said he's, he's in surgery right now. I think yeah, it's that's so what his tough agent news. Said. Let's switch gears here to some Auburn football. Auburn today received the national letter of intent from Dylan Brooks. Hopefully, this is the last national letter of intent for Dylan Brooks. I say that jokingly, of course. I'm sure this is it for him coming to the Plains here, staying in the local 334, as he put it. How much of an impact do you guys expect him to make in his first season? Of course, he's not going to be on campus for the spring. The six foot five, two hundred fifty pound outside linebacker on twenty four seven sports. His prospect info on twenty four seven sports has him at six five two fifty as an outside linebacker, but he's rated as the number six weak side defensive end according to twenty four seven sports composite. So automatically there possibly a little bit of a, a versatile defensive player there for Auburn bringing in especially at that 6'5 250 pound frame you could see him at outside linebacker or defensive end but how much of an impact do you guys expect him to make in his first season I'm expecting him to 
play at that outside linebacker spot. And honestly, I mean, I think the sky's the limit. We're not really set in any kind of real rotation here. And we're not really going to see what it's going to be. I think he could really come out and make an impact probably his first year. I mean, you got a lot of guys who sub out on defense. It's easier to make an impact on defense or at least get on the field and see playing time early on in your career on the defensive side because you're doing so so many substitutions in different formations that require multiple guys to come in. I think he could come in, probably make a little bit of an impact early on, but I think this kid's going to be really talented, and I think Derek Mason's going to end up being able to develop this guy into something special. Yeah, like he said, talking about the different formations, different substitutions, with how versatile he is, I think he's going to make an early impact, and especially next to leaders like Jacoby McLean, Owen Papo, and Chandler Wooten returning from his opted-out season due to COVID-19. So I really think that he's going to be able to sit He won't be a starter, but he'll be able to sit behind some experienced guys and get valuable playing time this coming up season. I'm not as optimistic about him getting as much playing time as you guys might be going into this season. And my reasoning on that is there's less spots for him on the defensive line to slot in this year because Mm -hmm. I believe Auburn is going to primarily run with some three-man fronts. When you're looking at a guy like Dylan Brooks at 6'5", 250, he's a little bit too small to play on the inside technique at defensive end. So I don't think he's going to get in at defensive end. I see pass rushing outside linebacker when I see Dylan Brooks. And maybe as his career progresses at Auburn, we see him play more and slot in as a starter one day. You know, I mean, this this is speaking Rashawn Evans-like commitment to me, pass rush outside linebacker. And we saw Rashawn Evans at Alabama. We saw his usage rate increase as his versatility and his ability to do different things in different sets increased. As Dylan Brooks gets older, he will add more things to his tool belt. That's plain and simple. That's just the truth for any player. Coming in to college football, Dylan Brooks is probably going to be more apt. He's probably going to be more he's going to be more ready to be a pass rusher where your only objective is see ball, get ball, right? It is get after the quarterback and get back there. It's just that that's all he's going to have to do. And and we've seen defensive linemen and pass rushers get on the field as college football has, uh, as we've gone further and further in college football, we've seen players on the defensive side of the ball in the front seven get younger and younger. I feel like in terms of them being able to get on the field quicker, we see younger players in college football today than maybe we did 10 years ago making an impact. And a big part of that is it's just easier to slot in on the defensive in that defensive front seven, especially on the defensive line, because your responsibility is see ball, get ball, as opposed to having to fill gaps, having to drop back into pass coverage as linebackers and whatnot. So I think we see him more in the role of pass rush outside linebacker, never really having to drop back into coverage because I just don't think he's experienced enough to be able to do that yet. I don't think that's something that's really in his skill set at the moment. But 6'5", 250, super athletic. I just think there are other guys at that position that are more experienced than he is that is going to get majority of the snaps at that pass rushing position. Like, this is a guy that we didn't see last year, but friend of the program, Zach Blackerby, find him on Twitter, at Z Blackerby. He hosts the Locked on Auburn podcast. He's super high up on Romello Height. And Romello Heights, you know, a guy who we really didn't see at all last year, but he's just one of many names that could slot in as a pass rusher, and primarily their role will be pass rushing. The other thing about this for me on Dylan Brooks is he's not going to be here for the spring game. He's not enrolled on campus. It's hard for freshmen to get onto the field when their only college experience going into week one of college football has been fall camp. So I'm not super keen on him being a primary starter for this Auburn defense 
or not a starter, but it, but even just getting on the field that much right out the gates. I do think he eventually makes a huge impact for Auburn one day. What, 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 you know, during his collegiate career, this is a huge commitment for Auburn. I just don't see how it shakes out this year because there's a bit of a logjam up front for Auburn. I think in that pass rush position. Yeah, I do think that with Colby Wooden, Derek Call, Romello Height, as Zach mentioned, I think all those guys are definitely the front runners for that book position, the pass rusher position. And they're going to rotate in and out. Now, of course, I'm sure we'll see one of those guys not really touch the field. But unless Brooks does a really good job in practices, yeah, I think you're kind of right. Now, I will say that I feel like, you know, when a new coaching staff comes in, it gives the younger guys a better chance because it's not like those relationships are built up as much. And you're kind of just seeing guys for the first time. So it'll be interesting to see if he does get any playing time this year. Side Side note here, Jacob, you would probably know the answer to this question. Have we seen anything about Big Cat Bryant? No. I don't think we have. Not since he deleted. I think the last thing that was the big news was he deleted his commitment tweet to Tennessee. Cause I mean, yeah, he did go to or he committed to Tennessee, and you know that's not gonna Yeah. You know, that's not gonna happen now. I mean Well, we don't know that, do well, we? For sure. Well, for sure. I mean, yeah, you're right, you're right. We don't know that for sure, but it just seems it seems highly unlikely, I'll put it that way. When you're trying to transfer out of a program that is, you know, on a national stage like Auburn is, where you're trying to showcase your abilities and try to make it to the next level, you really don't want to go somewhere with Tennessee where the talent might not be there next year because a lot of guys are transferring out. You got a team that's gonna be under sanctions, and you probably don't want to put yourself in that situation if you're just trying if you're trying to make yourself better and trying to put yourself on display, you're probably not gonna go to a place that's gonna be shrouded in so much. Definitely not. Well, one that's quick, like the that's like the worst thing to do. One quick search says maybe Oklahoma. Sure, I've but seen that. That's, yeah. that's kind of a rumor at this point. It's not really everything is shrouded in rumors. Yeah. So yeah. who knows? What if he comes back? I was about to say, is there a chance he could come back? Like, do we think? I think there's the, a chance. Maybe he goes out test the waters, but there's a chance. Yeah, there's sure. Just chance. in the fact that he's kind of a free agent at the moment. That's what I mean right. by there's a chance. Yes. Like he hasn't he hasn't locked down his future at another location. So. True. There is a potential there, I guess, for and the rumors for him coming back to Auburn started late January when all that nonsense began for Tennessee. So, but were there any legs to it? We just don't know. We don't know. Switching gears now to another commitment for Auburn football. Dreshawn Miller expected to make a direct impact in this secondary, and it was already the best position group, I felt like, coming back for Auburn next season. And not only that, you get to put him under the tutelage of defensive backs coach Zach Etheridge but also you get to put him under the tutelage of a former defensive back himself Derek Mason who's now the defensive quarter coordinator at Auburn how much of an impact do we expect Dreshawn Miller to make going into this secondary I mean that's kind of the theme of this segment two new commitments on that Auburn defense how much of an impact do we expect them to make year one it's big for the depth because you've got you're solidified is it just depth though does this guy slot in and start that's the big question is you've got at least depth because you've got nehemiah pritchett you've got and he had a sneaky good year yeah he did that's the issue is the guys in front of them that are already here have played so well that it's hard to imagine him taking over one of those starting spots and i think ladarius tennyson is set to be in that nickel position so in the and DB, people are high up on Tennyson going on to this year. That's what I'm saying. Is I think he is going to be so good for depth. He's very important, even though he won't necessarily start, assuming he doesn't start. I think that he will be a big impact on this Auburn Tigers. And McCreary's the lockdown corner, so yeah. you're basically trying to see if Miller can supersede and jump past 
uh, Nehemiah Pritchett over at that opposite corner position. Unless Simpson's there. I mean, we don't know how this coaching that's, staff that's is going to view. Simpson's there, too. Right. It's just that it's, What about at safety? I don't know. I don't know enough about him to know if he can play safety as much, but if he can, he played that would cornerback be great for at West Virginia. But yeah, I was like, if he could play safety, that'd be a really good chance to get on the field. I mean, I don't think this guy's going to have any problem seeing action again. We talked about we talked about it a little bit yesterday in terms of defensive backs easily get on the field even when there are guys in front of you just based off of different looks that you have. Auburn could use some help. Yeah, in I mean, terms of pass coverage and safety for sure that and that would be big if he could transition and play that safety position that would be big for Auburn I'll go ahead and say what we said yesterday plug and play guy he's he was on the best pass he was on one of the best pass defensive defenses yesterday at or last year at West Virginia and you look at it they gave up you know the least amount of yards per game per you know however many what the minimum amount of games played was he had eight pass breakups and a pick last year Alongside 31 total tackles, the guy that play, it's a guy that knows how to play. You don't have to groom him up. You don't have to teach him anything. He could come in and play immediately, and I think he's going to he's going to be a good piece for this Auburn defense. You know, you got depth. Obviously, the depth is great. Seems like a very good player coming in. I like this move a little bit better than Dylan Brooks, at least for the immediate impact. I think long term, Dylan Brooks will probably be the better guy coming in. But I think immediate impact. I think Drayshawn Miller comes in. And plays a lot more this year. Makes more of an immediate Obviously, impact. because of his experience and yes. that he's a transfer. He doesn't transfer yeah. to Auburn if this coaching staff hasn't sold to him, hey man, you're going to play, right? Exactly. Because he's leaving West Virginia to go and play somewhere else. You don't transfer someone else somewhere else if you're not expecting to play. I mentioned safety, not only because Sherwood took off for the NFL draft and we're not so certain as to who will be filling in at Sherwood's position. We expect it to be... One of the youngsters out there that has came into this class because Auburn heavily recruited the safety position in this year's recruiting class, part of that 2021 class. They brought in like three safeties. So you expect at least one of those guys to get some significant downs in playing time. But Miller, you look at his size, he's 6'1", 192. That looks like a safety to me. You can play the position. Looks like a free safety to me. Maybe not necessarily <laughs> a strong safety like Jamie Sherwood was, but Jamie Sherwood was a bit of a unicorn too, playing the strong safety position at his height and his weight. Because what was Sherwood like six one, six two, two twenty? Looks like yeah. a linebacker. Yeah, come on. And he probably will play a little bit more like a linebacker at the next level. I wouldn't be shocked if he's playing like box safety at the next level. He's a little bit more involved in the run stop game because that's where he excelled the most. He struggled a lot in pass coverage. Both of the Auburn safeties last year struggled in pass coverage. So maybe we could see Dreshawn Miller a little bit further away from the line of scrimmage. Maybe we could see him all the way to that third level. I don't know. But this coaching staff saw an opportunity to go get a talented player and go and shore up an even, an even more talented position group. I mean, I, like I said, I think it's the most talented position group on Auburn's roster. And they just found a way to make it deeper. How does he slot in? We've even, we haven't even mentioned Marco Domeo. That's that was a guy I was gonna think about, but he just he didn't show much last year. He had, he, he didn't had, play. He had a little bit. He had a little bit of playing time when he did. He didn't show much. I think that you know, given a whole spring, this coaching and whole staff fall, has no allegiance to former players exactly. on this roster. So I think that could change. But I'm not gonna look at him and expect him to come out and be that guy. But he could be. There is just not enough positions for these bodies in this no. defensive backfield. This defense is loaded. That's a good problem to have. Oh yeah, that's a good problem to have, especially for a first-year coach at this position, or you know, at Auburn with Brian Harson. That's a great. 
that's a great problem. To have. What you about Derek Mason, man? That guy's the defensive guy of the two people that we've just named. <laughs> man has been at Vanderbilt working with the bare minimum. He comes in here and has just a plethora of riches at the defensive backfield side of the ball. I think on defense, linebacker is the one position group that it's it's got the least depth, but I think it's getting deeper. They at least they made an impact there on the recruiting trail with Joko Willis joining that group but there's more linebacker positions now than we've seen over the years Auburn's been primarily in the nickel over the last couple of years under Der- or excuse me not under Derek Mason under Kevin Steele they've been under the nickel and meaning they've only used two linebackers and it's been Owen Papo and Zacoby McLean and those were the two primary guys that they used last year they really didn't go deeper than that and now they're fit again Chandler Wooten coming back TD Moultrie's moving over there They've still got the two freshmen that didn't play this past year when Steiner and Tisdall. They've got six guys there, and then you add Joko Willis, so they got seven, but I would still say as far as quality depth is concerned, it's probably the worst position group in terms of quality depth and experience outside those top two guys in Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain. The defensive line wasn't great last year, but I, I expect there to be less positions to fill there and still about the same amount of bodies coming back you only lost two defensive linemen, really, that I can think of. I mean, Big Cat Bryant obviously transferring out, but then T.D. Moultrie's moving to the linebacking core. But you only have three positions to fill. You bring back a lot. I mean, guys like Walker, Wooden. I mean, they've got players on that defensive line. Then not to mention, of course, Auburn's always taking three or four defensive linemen in every single recruiting class. So it goes Lee deep Hunter. at that. Yeah, Lee Hunter. See, Lee Hunter, I see that guy, and he is obviously the pride and joy of this recruiting class. But once again, this comes down to you've got Truesdale coming back. I don't yeah. know how Hunter gets on the field because I would expect Truesdale to be the nose tackle. Yeah, I agree with that. He's one of the largest defensive tackles on this roster. You talk about his strength. You want a guy who can muddy things up in the interior part of that defensive line and the interior part of the offensive line. And Truesdale fits that bill perfectly to me to what he's going to probably be asked to do. There's no way they move into defensive end. I, I, I'm not buying that. And so I don't even think there's been any conversation about that. I mean, you look at Truesdale, he's probably going to be the starting nose tackle, and he could end up being a beast. Maybe they find a way to unlock some hidden talent in him. Maybe, you know, if, if Truesdale ends up being a wrecking ball, Nick Easton's going to get a lot of love, True. especially considering how bad this defensive line was last year, because it was one of the worst defensive lines, in my opinion, in the SEC West last year, maybe even the entire SEC. Just when you're looking up how many yards they were giving up on the ground, atrocious. Just watched the Texas A&M game. Right. Near 300 yeah, yards, yeah, just unacceptable. Just watched that Texas A&M game. That, that is the epitome of what that defensive line was last year. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. We'll have some baseball talk with Jacob coming up, previewing this midweek series against Alabama A&M and then what to look forward to for the Round Rock Classic this weekend. Stay with us here on On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at, at RadioALSports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. In that first segment, we talked a lot about Dylan Brooks and Dreshawn Miller. What kind of impacts do we expect them to make? You know, what, what's the depth look like on the defensive side of the football? Because it looks like they're running out of room to stick bodies. It is a packed house over there on the defense, on the defensive side of the football. They're running out of rooms to fit people. You know, this is a, this is a defense that, it, that is really filling out nicely 
for Derek Mason in his first season for Auburn coming up in 2021. But we're going to switch gears here now and go over and talk about Auburn baseball. They've got a midweek series against Alabama A&M. The 3-0 and Auburn Tigers take your pick about where they're ranked, 17th, 22nd, whatever. They're somewhere in some poll out there right yeah. now. Um, so this Auburn baseball team, 3-0, and taking on Alabama A&M in the midweek. Jacob, what were your thoughts, first of all, on the Presbyterian series? Were you, uh, you know, trying to think of a way to frame this, you know, impressed? Like, like, did they exceed expectations? Did they, were they right about on par? Or were they a little bit disappointing for you? What did you think about the weekend series? I think they were on par for me. I think a lot, I think some guys showed out that I didn't expect to show out and vice versa. So it, it, it was kind of right down the middle. And I think that they're, I think Auburn's in a good spot, especially considering the pitching did fine. 1.29 ERA over the weekend, struck out 10 batters in every single game. I think whenever you get Jack Owen back, you're going to be in an exceptional spot with Mason Barnett moving to the bullpen. He's okay starting on Sundays, but I really think that him in that bullpen is going to be something special. Well, of course, it's depth. It's yeah. depth that Auburn is definitely going to want when they're going to get SEC play against some of the bats they're going to be facing. And, and I do think it's good for him to get this experience as a starter and going longer than an inning or two because, you know, what if the Friday guy does come in and he gets hit in the third inning pretty hard and then you can bring him in and he can go four or five innings. Be a little bit more like a long reliever. Exactly. So he that this is good experience for him to kind of do everything. When you say that they were on par with your expectations – were your expectations cautious reservation? My expectations, well... Or were they high expectations? They, no, no, no. They, they were cautious reservation. And when, after Friday, I thought, okay, maybe they're going to exceed my expectations. And then Saturday and Sunday happened with the bats. Yeah, you got excited after they played at 14 Easily. on Friday. Easily. And then Saturday... Saturday was one of those things. If, if they bounced back Sunday and scored a lot of runs, Saturday I would have... You know, kind of ignore because they did have some power. Nate still LaRue, had eleven hits. Ryan Bliss and, and and I forget who else hit the home run. There was three home runs hit on Saturday. Judd Ward. Yeah. So that's the thing. Still had eleven hits though. That's a good day at the office. It is. It Regardless is. of opponent to me, I, I'll I'll take that any day. Yeah. And it, it's it's one of those things where it just as the weekend went on, I just don't see how the bats kept. What bothers you about on. Saturday when you look at the box score, you see six runs, eleven hits, which looks good on any typical day. The problem is it came in burst, right? It wasn't like it was steady production across the day. Auburn was locked in a close one with Presbyterian for the first half of the ball game. And they were just, you know, they were chiseling on through the frames and, you know, still no runs being scored. You're kind of shocked that there was such longevity on Saturday and Sunday with Presbyterian being able to hold back the Auburn bats they were able to hold them at bay for a long period of time enough time for them to have gotten some run support and to have really made it a ball game if they had gotten any run support on Sunday Auburn loses and gets swept so I take this weekend with a grain of salt of course I talk to people they say yeah it's first weekend and and yes it is the first weekend so once again I'll, I'll hold my opinions until next weekend after we really get a baseline of what this team looks like against quality competition but it, it I understand Sunday and Saturday mainly Sunday, bothering folks because I said going into the weekend, I said if Auburn loses, they lost because they didn't hit in one of their games. It's not It's not going to be because of the defense. It's not going to be because of pitching. It's It's going to be because they did not hit in one of those games. And guess what? They they almost lost on Sunday because of what they did at the plate. And looking at the positives of the bats is the newcomers. Josh oh, yeah. Hall and Bryson Ware. They were 9 for 19 combined Four for seven for Josh Hall. Yeah. Five for 12 for uh, Bryson Ware. Ware hit a home run. Hall had a triple. That guy's fast. 
he is going to see when 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 I saw Josh Hall was coming to Auburn and I was looking at the roster for this year, I thought, okay, he's definitely gonna get pinch run and he's gonna be able to get his way into the lineup on rest days for other guys. He might be Auburn's right fielder at this point because Stephen Williams seems like he might be the catcher for Auburn. Were you surprised by that? Because I, I was. think you were a little bit. I was. You were on the side of things that you weren't high up I, on that move. I mean, no, you told me off air. You said no chance. Yeah. And then, like, I think that kind of blindsided a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people were really expecting that to happen. That move to happen. I knew at all. it was possible that he was going to play there. I just didn't expect this to become something that was going to last for yeah. a long time. But I think he might be the catcher. And that like, was more about me being high up on the two guys that were going Guile into this and, season. Yeah. Right. And, and Larue had a. He had a home run this weekend. He did. He played on Saturday. He started that catcher on Saturday, and I thought he did okay. But I think they're going to split time. See, I think I think you're right, but I also think that when it comes down to it, you know, Game Three, College World Series, I think Stephen Williams will be the catcher. I think that the bats, you get the best bats whenever you have Stephen Williams at catcher, because I think Josh Hall is that is that kind of guy. Because the defense has to do so much. Like I, I'll, I won't. What I remember is in a scrimmage whenever Rankin Wally had to play in because he can lay down a bunt for a hit, and he just poked one past him, easy double, stole third, sacrifice, fly home. I think that's something you get out of him that you don't get from any other players, and it forces the defense to do different things. And then Bryson Ware, I, I was high on him before the season. Like I, I know this guy's going to be really good. He has the power. He went five for twelve. He had a and, huge weekend. And I think that, he was yeah. the star of the weekend and, at the play. Yeah, for sure. And the average is better than I thought it would be disappointing Sunday he was one of those guys on Sunday that didn't look great but the first two nights wow sure (laughs) watch out because he was above 500 going into Sunday that's the thing if if two out of three games you have a guy doing that then you just need someone else to step up on Sunday Alabama and midweek we're about to go to break in about a minute what are you looking at from this team? Where do they need to improve before they go into the round rock classic on Saturday well I do want to I do want to see Trace Bright and Jack Sokol do really well. Sokol making his Auburn debut tomorrow night as a starter. And Trace Bright, he appeared on Friday night. He got the save. Auburn was dominating. It's not considered a save. But he pitched in the ninth inning. I want to see these guys do good in a longer role instead of just one inning like Bright played in. Because if you have these two guys able to do that, kind of like Mason Barnett, you're set for the whole weekend in the relief role. We're still learning so much about this baseball team because another big point of emphasis for me going into this year is these guys got to win midweek games. Yeah, that's going to center say, on what dro- you can do. Don't drop midweek games like you did last season to Wofford. You can't do that. And that's going to center on what you can do with your arms. And so I'm with you. You got to look at that. Of course, the plate is what we're all looking <laughs> at for the yep. weekend. But, man, these guys, they're going to have to throw well during the midweek. They're going to beat Alabama A&M. Jacob, appreciate you hopping on with us. Enjoy the baseball game this afternoon. We'll be back with more of On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Garner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Auburn basketball in action against Florida. What's going on with those betting lines, Levi? What's happening on tonight against the Florida Gators? The Tigers taking on Florida at 6 p.m. this evening. I saw Auburn's favored by two which is a little shocking. Is there some sharp money going down on Auburn? Is this is this possibly an indication that Auburn could, you know, make a big make a big time play against Florida tonight, and possibly get past the Gators? Yeah, I'm seeing Auburn favored by two as well, and it's a little shocking. Maybe not so. Auburn, we've seen Auburn in this position where they're at home 
against a much better team, and you've seen them become the favorites a few times this year, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm not, I'm not too surprised. From what I'm seeing right now, there's a little bit of sharp action on Auburn. I'm seeing about somewhere around like 53% of these bets are going in on Florida, but I'm seeing about 52% of the money is going around on Auburn, which, you know, that usually indicates a lot of sharp money action going in on there. So it's a little wild, a little weird to think about. So I think this bodes well. I think what I'm seeing is more people are on Florida, more money's on Auburn. That bodes well for the Tigers, at least from a purely just speculative standpoint, just kind of looking at those numbers. Once again, the game happening tonight at 6 on ESPN. Auburn basketball taking on the Florida Gators. Auburn on a bit of a slide, and they've been on a slide for quite some time. Auburn 1-5 and five across their last six games. And uh, tonight against Florida, you see, when I saw that they were favored by two, I was kind of, I was kind of curious. I was like, is this an indication that Auburn could possibly, uh, that there's some smarter people out there than me that could be betting on Auburn to go out there and upset a Florida team that's been rather inconsistent? Auburn two point favorite still right now, according to what I'm seeing on ESPN. Florida coming into the game at 11 and six, seven and five in conference play. Auburn at 11 and 12, five and nine in conference play. Of course, Florida getting their first win since uh, Florida got their first win since January 30th when they beat Georgia 70 to 63. So uh, that was a big win during the midweek or uh, over the weekend for Florida. That was over Georgia 70 to 63. But they had lost to Arkansas, South Carolina, both of those in back-to-back games had some COVID uh, related issues that had some of their games postponed. The last time they had won before the Georgia game over the weekend, they beat West Virginia 85 to 80, which is a big win. You look at some bracketology, Florida's out there still in the NCAA tournament picture. But this is a big game for the Gators, who are currently fourth in the SEC standings. But they, I, I don't know if they're for sure lock if they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Now joining us on the line, we got Jason Caldwell of Inside the Auburn Tigers and Auburn 24-7. Jason, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us. Jason, how are you doing today? Doing good. Just uh, taking a walk, enjoying a little sunshine right now, so it's nice. So. That, that's right. Are you going to be enjoying some baseball this afternoon? That's the real question. Yeah, I'll be out there in just a little while. Yep, absolutely. I'll, Auburn, Alabama, a and I'll uh, be out there for a couple of midweek games before they head to, to Texas this weekend for uh, you know what should be a three pretty big tests at the uh, Round Rock Classic. So the, this previous weekend, just starting with some Auburn baseball talk here, this previous weekend – Auburn against Presbyterian. Auburn sweeps the Blue Hose 3-0 this weekend. You know, going into the year, what were your expectations for this Tiger team, and, and did they kind of meet those for your opening weekend expectations? Yeah, no, I think, you know, I think there were some things that uh, I saw that I thought I would see, uh, which is depth. I thought I'd see a lot of depth uh, at the plate and on the mound. I did see that. Um, you know, I think we got a glimpse of kind of the capabilities on Friday night. Um they went out against Presbyterian's best starter, a guy that won 21 games his career, and, and Auburn swung the bats really well. When they got to uh, a couple of guys they didn't know as much, I thought they struggled some. And so, as Bush Thompson said, I think now, uh, can they make adjustments? Can they adjust on the fly? Uh, you know, it's it's a lot different, you know, playing, you know, even some, some simulated games that you play in practice, doing those things. You haven't played a real baseball game in almost a year. And so, it's a different a different feel to kind of get back in the groove of that offensively and so I think for them can they adjust now that they've kind of seen some different guys um how do you adjust to that especially this midweek because uh, you know people say oh it's Alabama A&M 
historically, Auburn has struggled against some teams like this because, you know, you're throwing 75, 80 miles an hour instead of 85, 90, 95 to what they're used to. So it can be a, it can be a tough transition just to try to stay back, do those things. Lots of pop-ups for Auburn last weekend. We'll see if they can remedy that starting tonight. Butch Thompson brought up some of the things that Auburn struggled with at the plate over the weekend. Are you confident in what these Tigers can do at the plate this year? Obviously, there's still a little bit of a learning curve because these guys, like you put it, haven't played ball in over a year. You know, Where are you at with what this team's doing at the plate right now going into a difficult weekend at the Round Rock Classic? Yeah, I think uh, there's no question this team has talent. And uh, they got guys that can swing the bat. So I think it's going to be there. I think it's a matter of how quickly they can adjust to kind of being back in this kind of this routine of playing in the season and doing all the things you have to do to be prepared. And as Butch said, um, you know, adjusting. They've been seeing guys that they're used to seeing in practice every day. And so you're kind of, you know what those guys bring to the table. Um, Now you get to see some guys different. Uh, So I think the talent's there. I think this this team's going to be fine offensively. I think it's just a matter of kind of they're figuring some things out for a young guy like like Bryson Ware, for example. Uh, Came out really hot the first game. And uh, your president said, okay, well, now you can hit a fastball. Now can you hit a breaking ball? And he really struggled the last two games. And you're on top of everything trying to pull. Can Bryson Ware adjust? stay back, hit the ball the other way some, and, and, and do some of those things. You know, that's things you have to do because uh, sooner or later people figure out, you know, if that guy's not going to stay back on a breaking ball, that's all we're going to throw him. So, uh, you know, some learning curve with some of these guys. Thinking about this uh, midweek series that we have right now, you want to talk through the people with – talk through uh, Trace Bright and Jack Sokol for the people. What do you expect out of them tonight? And, you know, what should fans expect watching this game with them? Yeah, Trace Bright will get to start tonight for Auburn and – you know, right-hander hit three midweek starts last year. Uh, you know, and, and he's he's a guy that's got some velocity uh, control. That's kind of been the issue for him. Gave up, you know, he pitched one inning, gave up a couple of hits over the weekend. Um, Trace has the tools, but can he locate and, and and stay ahead in the count? That's kind of the key for him. And so, Jack Sokol, big arm, true freshman, hasn't made an appearance yet. You know, we expect him to get the start tomorrow night, and so. Uh, you know, I think, you know, the thing for him is going to be the same thing. Uh, normally for young guys, you look at, uh, can they throw strikes, can they stay ahead of the count? So that's what you're kind of looking for for both these guys the next two nights. Auburn moving Stephen Williams over to catcher. He got some action there over the weekend. What did you think about him behind the plate? Because he seems to be uh, he seems to be pretty excited about being back there. Yeah, it's, you know, that's where he kind of played and grew up his whole life. And, um, you know, been an outfielder for really the last three years. I, th- I think I figured out he he played in parts of five games as a freshman as a catcher, and since then, he was strictly a right fielder. Um, so he looked really good, and, you know. And I think the interesting thing is, is that um, maybe appreciative of being back behind the plate again. Uh, he's an older, more mature guy, and so uh, I think even not playing there, I think it's, it's, he's he's been able to learn some by talking to Matt Sheffer and watching how he approaches things. And so he's got the arm, he's got the talent level, and. If he continues to progress, and you got Nate Baru and you got Ryan Dow and some young guys, then you know you got some depth at a at a position where you're you're probably going to need some depth during the season. And that, that could be a big deal for this team. And not a lot of teams have have depth that catcher, and so Auburn's definitely got a bit of a luxury there. Um, I want to talk about this pitching staff then, and the guys throwing to those catchers this past weekend. What what what'd you see out of Green Hill in his first start ever in, in college baseball? It was his first collegiate start? What'd you see out of Green Hill, and then maybe a little bit. 
uh, more at a big picture for this entire pitching staff. What did you think about this new-look starting rotation? I thought there were some good things. I thought Butch Thompson was right. I thought all three of the guys struggled to get um, – you know, into the 50-60 range. And, and, you know, you would expect them now. You need to get into the 70-80 range probably in, in the second start. Can they sustain it? And then as Butch, Butch says, can you keep it on track? Which means, you know, can you you know, throw 95 in the first inning? You can't be 91 in inning three. Um, so you got to sustain it a little bit. And, you know, for Cody, you know, he's a guy they want him to go out and be aggressive, do those things. But, you know, he's used to, be, you know, finishing off a game and you know, kind of exerting everything. <clears throat> can they locate other pitches? I thought that was the key for them, especially a guy like Mason Barnett on Sunday. His location was all over the place. Um, he's a guy that can throw strikes and do those things, but when you struggle to locate and get behind and count, um, then you put yourself in some situations. So I think, you know, Cody did well early. Um, I thought that Richard Pitts, other than one pitch, um, you know, did pretty good. When you give up one hit in five innings, that's a pretty good start for him. Um, you know, can we'll see what what happens now as they build on that heading into week two. Shift the conversation over to football. What do you think about West Virginia transfer cornerback Drayshawn Miller coming into Auburn? I think it's a really big addition because to me, when you start talking about maybe not them total amount of bodies, but the amount of guys you need um, at two positions. I think you probably need as many corners as you do as anybody on the field because of the way the game's played now. Uh, normally you're playing at least five defensive backs every snap. Um, so adding, adding a guy that was one of the best players in the Big 12 last year, he's a bigger, more physical corner than anybody Auburn's got right now at 6'1", 192. So it gives you a different style of play. And so you go to Roger McCreary, Nehemiah Pritchett, Jalen Simpson, Marco Domeo, all of a sudden, you look at Auburn's corner room and go, "Man, that's that's a really strong group." Um, and so it's a it's a place where you know they kind of feed off each other. You got to have a pass rush to make your corners better. But if you don't have those corners out there, then it, you know unless you're stacking a quarterback or pressuring him every play, then you're going to be in trouble. And so I think it's a a really good addition for this defense. And uh, and to me. You start looking it over now, and I think they're in pretty good position defensively uh, in terms of depth, talent. Now they've got to figure out in the spring, you know, where guys fit, kind of the schemes, the things they want to do with these guys. But I think they've got the talent level on defense to be pretty good. We were kind of thinking about this a little bit and just kind of mulling around on this one, but is there a chance that he plays at safety? they got a little bit of a hole to fill in there with Sherwood, and as you put it, he is pretty big. He kind of looks like a safety a little bit. To me, um, I would I would lean more towards yeah you know, this is just my thought process I would lean more towards moving Roger McCreary to nickel and moving Ladarius Tennyson to safety if it was to me that would be a really dynamic grouping because to me I think you need such a cover guy at the nickel position nowadays we've seen time and time again guys that get you know, that's where they want to match you up um, Roger McCreary's physical enough to play inside I really. I'd like to see what that grouping would look like. Maybe a Nehemiah Pritchett or a Jalen Simpson at one corner, Rashawn Miller at the other side, McCreary at nickel, Tennyson at one of those safety spots to smoke Monday. I think Chris Thompson is going to be a really good player, but man, you know, I, that, I think that would be an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, that does sound uh, that I, that is. I haven't even thought about that, and so the the possibility of McCreary adding another thing to his draft resume too, just be, being able to play in multiple positions at corner that. 
that is intriguing. I hadn't thought about that yet. Jason, I appreciate you hopping on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Yeah, you can check us out. Like I said, AUTigers.com, uh, Auburn.247.com, and also follow me on Twitter at ITATJason. Jason, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good rest of your walk and enjoy your baseball tonight. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That was Jason Caldwell of Inside the Auburn Tigers and Auburn 24-7. We'll be back in just a few moments here on On the Line. We'll wrap up hour number one on the other side of this break. Wrapping up hour number one here on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone number to call is 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. Once again, 334-321-1390. Before we wrap up hour number one here on the line, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Get in touch with your emotions with a new episode of This Is Us on NBC at 8. A new series set to debut, CW has its pilot episode of Superman and Lois on at 7. Tuesday night college basketball isn't easy for top teams on the road tonight. Beginning at 6 on FS1, number 5 Illinois is at Michigan State. Head over to the Big 12 on ESPN2 with number 10 West Virginia at TCU. In the SEC, LSU at Georgia on SEC Network. And Florida at Auburn on ESPN. At 7 on Big Ten Network, Penn State at Nebraska. Moving to the 8 p.m. time slot, number 7 Oklahoma is at Kansas State on ESPN2. Ranked teams collide on ESPN between number 17 Kansas and number 14 Texas. Ole Miss at number 24 Missouri is on SEC Network. And in the NBA, kick it on TNT with two games starting at 6.30 with the Celtics at the Mavericks and at 9 the Trailblazers at the Nuggets. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. We were talking about this briefly before we brought Jason Caldwell on the show with us. The betting lines for Auburn basketball right now they've got Auburn favored by two points in the spread I'm a little shocked to see that considering Auburn's one and five across their last six over pretty much the last month of basketball Florida on the other hand hasn't been much better but it's because they haven't been playing basketball due to COVID related issues they come back they play Georgia over the weekend they beat Georgia they sweep the Bulldogs across the season but now they're on the road coming to the Plains What's going on with the lines right now, and what does that tell us about how the national picture views Auburn basketball versus Florida tonight at 6 p.m. on ESPN? You know, that's a good point that I wasn't considering, that they did miss a lot of time to COVID, and they come back and they play a a clearly inferior team at home in Georgia, and I think they're going to take in—I think you're seeing this line simply for the fact that they're taking into account that Florida has missed a bit of time because of COVID, and then they're on the road. Auburn has been pretty good on— Auburn's been pretty good at home. Florida's been pretty bad on the road. Three and four, Auburn's six and four at home. And then Florida's three and four on the road. I think that's what they're taking into account here. I think it's a late night game. You know, seven, six, I mean, six is okay. I mean, it's a seven Eastern time. It's a bit of a late tip for a weekday game. You're going to have them on the road. They've missed a lot of time for COVID. Their last opponent was Georgia, who they didn't really, they just kind of went in and won because out of the fact that they're just a better team than Georgia. I think that's why you see this line it bodes well for Auburn. You don't see a lot of people on Auburn. It's about a 58 to you know 42% split in terms of people who are taking Auburn. But then you're sitting there on the money side and it's almost flip-flop. 
more people are more money is going in on Auburn, which means people with a lot of money, the sharps as we like to call them, are betting Auburn. And typically those guys come out on top. So I'm so sharp money on Auburn. Sharp money's going on Auburn, which is probably why you see this line and you see it holding. I think which means the national experts out there the, the people who know what they're doing think Auburn's going to win tonight yes the people who the people who look at these and see these they see some value at Auburn right now and I think I think that bodes well I think Auburn could really come out and win this game I'll go off of the fact that just purely based off of speculative lines that I'm looking at it looks like Auburn should win and cover this game and that has nothing to do with any basketball stats or anything that is just me reading this line and seeing the trends and that people much smarter than you and I Yes. At picking games because yes. they've actually put some skin in the game. Those folks think that Auburn's going to win tonight. I don't know what their reasoning behind it is, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll follow them. I'll trust them for the simple fact of uh the skin that they have going in on that game. Well, Florida's got a whole lot more on the line right now. They're fourth in the SEC standings, but right there behind them Tennessee at eight and six Missouri at seven and six Ole Miss at seven and seven Kentucky at seven and seven there's still time for teams behind them in the standings to get into that last spot that gets a two-day bye in the SEC tournament one through four doesn't have to play the first two days and Florida would very much so need to miss those first two days especially when you're talking about trying to get this team into the NCAA tournament I want to go look at bracketology here and see where Florida's at because look in previous years 11 and 6 that's not a foregone conclusion that you're going to make the NCAA tournament and right now when I look at bracketology they've got Florida in the tournament I'm trying to go and find an exact seating Joe Lenardi has got them down to eight right now dropping to eight I don't know how they were higher than that college basketball must be down go look at people are thinking these 11 and 6 originally 10 and 6 before beating Georgia over the weekend if that's enough to have a team as high as an eight seed in the NCAA tournament I'm not buying it this Florida team super inconsistent but they've got some sexy wins on their resume especially that one over West Virginia back in January the SEC Big 12 challenge I still think there's a lot on the table for this Florida team though and Auburn's got nothing and if anything has shown us over these last six games or really over these last five games since that Baylor loss I don't want to say for a fact that they've melded in, but you look at this team on defense, even Bruce Pearl at this point is calling it out publicly saying, hey, the effort's not necessarily there on the defensive side of the basketball. I mean, I think that goes into it as well. I think the public call out of the defense, honestly, I think that might help the Tigers. I think they might come out and really get it together for this game against I expect Florida. Auburn to be engaged for the first half defensively. I don't expect Auburn to get run off their own floor. By the way, this is the first time Auburn's played at home since February 6th. So it's been a little yeah, over two weeks since Auburn has played at home against that Saturday matchup against Ole Miss back on February 6th that Auburn lost in double OT. That really felt like it drove the nail in a little bit deeper on this Auburn basketball season because that was where Auburn got onto a three-game losing streak. But I'm not sold that Auburn's going to get run out of their own gym here against Florida because I don't think Florida's that much better from a talent perspective than what Auburn's putting on the floor. But I'm not so sure that Auburn's going to be able to put together a complete 40-minute game of basketball, which is going to be needed for a win tonight. Yeah, uh, it's going to be tough, but I, I think they got it. We'll talk about that later on in the show for sure. That's it for hour number one of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. we got a great hour number two played for you. Stay with us here on On the Line.
You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you. You want to call in, number to call, 334-321-1390. Once again, it's 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Auburn quarterback commit Holden Gariner showcased his arm at the NFA Seven on seven East Regional and seven on seven football. But the junior turned senior this year, 2022 three star quarterback commit to the Tigers. It looked pretty good and he made a big jump in his junior year, which is a big reason why he's drawing interest from some major programs around the country. Auburn's just one of them and he committed to Auburn amongst all the other offers he's got. Where's he at in his progression as a quarterback right now to you going into hopefully uh, a signature to Auburn? next year on signing day well first off seven on seven football it's how it should be played no kickers that's the way i like it what Hold about me. linemen yeah you can get them out of there too i don't what? care yeah, just get I, them will, out. I will take no big ugly disrespect i'm not disrespecting them it's just i will trade not having linemen for not having kickers that's that's an easy trade but yeah holden garner looking good i mean i've just been over here just you know have his highlights on loop as i'm speaking looks like he's throwing a good ball going through progressions at the seven on seven that's good to see that he's not just kind of locked in on one guy obviously a lot easier to go through your progressions when there's no line rushing after you. But oh, balls yeah. look like to be coming good out of his hand. Well, I was, you know, I'm assuming you're watching the video on 24-7 Sports. Yes. If, if you're watching that and you, you at least just keep count, ball's out in three seconds. Yeah, that's, that's fast. And, I mean, he has a quick release, too, in terms of in terms of that quick snap. I like, this, I like the kid a lot. I mean, he can only go up. And we've noted that we think he's probably going to shift up to a four-star once his senior year comes around because the kid looks talented. I mean, again, 6'3", can throw the ball. I think he's going – it looks like he's taking steps to improve, and I think that's really good for him. I think he's going to come out as a four-star athlete when he gets here to Auburn. He had a 1,300-yard improvement from 2019 to 2020 in his high school career. Yeah. (laughs) 14 touchdowns to 25 touchdowns in terms of a jump there, and he shaved off nine interceptions. His junior year campaign had 2,770 yards, 25 TDs, three picks, as opposed to his junior or excuse me, his sophomore year campaign where he had 1,405 yards, 14 touchdowns, and 12 picks. That sophomore year is probably a big reason why he's a three-star right now. Yeah, and I think I, if he continues on this trajectory, which I think he will, it does look like he's making the right steps and improving. He should have a year his senior year should be similar to his junior year and not more of a sophomore year and I think that's what will put him up into a four-star you look at a guy and you say oh you know his junior and senior year of high school he balled out and played very well but that sophomore year two years ago when he was 16 years old 
that's going to hold him back. That's that's just not going to happen. They're going to look at the last two I years. I was 15, my yeah. sophomore year of high school. I was say, yeah, you, how are you going to hold that against someone? I couldn't someone? drive until I got to my junior year. Exactly. So. You can't hold that against people. And I think that, I mean, you see a jump from 14 to 12, 14 passing touchdowns to 12 interceptions, and you go 25 to 3. That's impressive. I think he made a big leap, and I think he's going to make – he's either going to make another leap or he's going to continue to play at this level, and I think that's big for Auburn. It says a lot that Mike Bobo went out and found this quarterback right away within a month of he having had, been named the offensive him. coordinator. It says a lot that he went out there and got him right away and made this kid a priority. I'm excited, and I'm rooting for this kid, mainly because it seems like he's a little bit of an underdog. People are so fixated on some of the other quarterbacks on Auburn's roster right now, like Bo Nix and Demetrius Davis. I don't even want to talk about those guys. I just want to talk about Garriter. I'm rooting for this kid because he's an underdog three-star. We've seen quarterbacks come and go through high school that were three stars, leave the state, and go elsewhere, and then end up being beast. And I'm looking at Phillip Rivers right now, and I don't want to see that happen again, right? And we've seen this story time and time again disrespected you know lower tier player not end up going to some of these in-state schools then end up being a pretty good player elsewhere so I'm rooting for this guy and I trust fully what Mike Bobo and Brian Harson evaluated quarterbacks because of their track record at the position they haven't missed these guys don't miss I, I and I'm not going to take into account whatsoever what I saw at South Carolina this year for Mike Bobo no, because no. that ship had already sank. He was trying to lift it out of the ocean. That ship had already, it, it was already underwater. When evaluating anything that happened this year at South Carolina, you just act like it didn't happen. You just immediately go, you know what? We're just going to erase that because there was no. We talked a lot about, say, Brian Harson salvaging this recruiting class. There wasn't anything that you could have salvaged at South Carolina in that season last year. There was just no. There's just no bringing that back. Which makes it even more painful that Auburn lost to him. Yeah. I mean, J.C. Horn's a beast. I mean, he, Pour he helped salt that in the game. wound. He helped, he helped control that game. J.C. Horn's a beast. He's going to be a lockdown superstar corner in the NFL. I'm just telling you that from the jump. I mean, this kid's offer list. Of course, offered by Auburn, committed to Auburn. He's got offers from other Power 5 schools, Arkansas, Florida State, Georgia, Kentucky, LSU, Michigan, Michigan State, Tennessee, and West Virginia among some group of five offers as well that were probably there at the beginning. But, you know, big Power 5 schools are taking notice. Schools like Georgia, LSU, Auburn, Michigan, Tennessee, as I've already mentioned, Michigan State, West Virginia. Of course, some smaller ones like Kentucky and Arkansas as well. But big schools are taking notice of Holden Jariner. And I would not be shocked if even more big schools and even bigger schools take interest in this kid moving forward over over his time i'm, I'm going to be keeping my eyes very close on holden Gariner, the class of 2022 six foot three 210 pound pro style quarterback once again still only a three star he's rated as number 31 pro style quarterback of course people are going to turn their nose at that because recruiting rankings they're not the be all end all but they are relatively accurate well, they're, I mean, they're a relatively accurate indicator. I'm not going to sit here and say that these guys do not know what they're talking about when you are evaluating high school prospects. So, not all of them pan out. Some of them do yeah. bust. But Well, a few a few points that I I like to think of when I think of recruiting. Think about guys like Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow. They weren't the highest in their class, no. and those two guys won a Heisman and are 
franchise quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Just to throw that out there. So try to try to go into perspective with your, you know, with the recruiting rankings. Yes, it is a big indicator. A lot of these guys come out and play very well. But when you have a guy like this who is what do you say, the 31st overall pro-style quarterback, I think he's going to climb anyway. You want me to incense you about Russell Wilson? What we got? I mean, he was low, too, if I'm not mistaken. Number 25 overall dual-threat quarterback. Yeah. He was ranked outside of the top 1,000 players in the country, according to 24-7 Sports Composite. Exactly. There's just Three-star QB. It's hard to really evaluate a lot of these guys because sometimes it comes down to where do they go? How do they adjust? You can have a guy that comes in and he's you know, one of the top-rated quarterbacks simply off the fact that he is – a Logan Thomas type of build or a Josh Allen coming out where they're just a big guy, big arm. He just needs to be developed. And sometimes those guys don't develop. A lot of times they get highly recruited based off of raw potential. And you can't really evaluate if this guy's going to turn out the way that you think he is. So it's it's take every ranking with a grain of salt. Watch actually try to go out there and watch some of the highlights. And you can see that Holden Garner is probably going to step up to a four-star. He's got a lot of talent. And I also love what Mike Bobo did here, getting after it early. I was watching Oklahoma State and Texas Tech last night in basketball, and they were talking about how Oklahoma State recruited Cade Cunningham, the potential first round, first overall pick in the NBA. They recruited him before he'd even played a varsity basketball game. That's getting after it early. And I like it when I see guys like that because a lot of these, guys, a lot of these recruits value that. That's a big part of why Cade Cunningham, I, I'm sure, I'm just speculating here, but I'm, I'm sure yes. that's a big part of why Cade Cunningham is at Oklahoma State right now. Of course. Because you, you don't see the teams like Oklahoma State no. getting guys like Cade Cunningham on a regular basis. And it's nice to go ahead and if, the way I see it is that's a very good evaluation of talent. And I think Mike Bobo knows quarterback position well. I think he saw this kid and thought, you know what? He's kind of flying under the radar right now. If I can go out and get after him really quickly and really early, we might can snag an early commit and get him to come here before anybody else even before he even pops up on anybody else's radar. And it's kind of coming to fruition like that because it's looking like he's taking those steps to become a higher profile recruit. But it looked, but from you know his commitment again, not a hard commit because everything can change at any moment. Mike Bobo got him to sold him on Auburn already. Auburn baseball tangling with Alabama A&M in the midweek. What can Auburn improve on going into the weekend? There's a lot of Auburn sports stuff happening this week. Of course, there's all the football news that has happened this week with Dylan Brooks and Dreshawn Miller committing. Obviously, we were just now talking about Holden Gariner playing in some seven-on-seven football. Of course, Auburn fans and football fans across the Southeast are going to eat up recruiting wherever that content comes from. And so, Thought that was some noteworthy stuff and some newsworthy stuff to put out there. But Auburn baseball tangling with Alabama A&M in the midweek. And then Auburn, Florida tonight at 6 p.m. on ESPN. You know, take your pick tonight about what you're watching. Auburn and Alabama A&M, first pitch is set for 4 p.m. That's only coming up, you know, in less than 50 minutes right now. And then Auburn basketball in less than three hours. There's a lot coming up this evening. Auburn baseball 3-0 after sweeping Presbyterian to the open and weekend series. We saw Auburn struggle in the week uh, in the midweek last year against teams like Alabama A&M, your Wofford, some of your smaller tier schools. This is a big these are a big two games for me in terms of my perception of Auburn baseball moving forward and also really just generating some momentum and confidence not only at the plate but with some of your arms. The two guys starting will probably be weekend bullpen guys but still generating some momentum and confidence going into the round rock classic possibly even being undefeated going into some of those games 
It's it's like a trust issue from last year because of what you saw last year in the midweek. Every year. Jason Caldwell yeah, touched on it. He yeah. said historically, Auburn struggles in the midweek. And it's just trust issue. It's the same way with consistent hitting. You don't trust the team to consistently hit because you haven't seen it. And you, I think that's big for these two games. I want to see them come out and, I think, play the way they should. I think they should, obviously, they should go out and beat Alabama A&M in these two games. I want to see it. I want to see them go out and be confident. And also what Jason Caldwell touched on, I do want to see Bryson Ware hit the breaking balls. I want to see him sit back and hit them because he was smashing fastballs you know, the first two games. I want to see the whole lineup doing this. That's oh, something sure. that I've yeah, had a critique sure. on Auburn's entire lineup for the past several years. It seems like they, they can sit fastball. That can be their approach. But once you get into SEC play, if you cannot hit a breaking ball, you're toast, my man. Oh, yeah. And you have – I mean, it's just – it's just simple as having patience at the plate and just waiting and sitting back on that breaking ball because there are guys on this team that could hit the ball. If they could just show a little bit of patience and hit that breaking ball, they could really improve this lineup. And again, they hit well Friday. They hit well Saturday in burst. That's the issue. You want you want it to come more consistently throughout the game. And then you saw what happened Sunday and it just wasn't a it wasn't great. You want to come out and see this team hit. You want to come out and see them hit consistently both nights. I don't want to see you know, I mean, I do want to see 14 runs tonight, but I don't want to see 14 runs tonight and then, you know, one run tomorrow. I want to see, I'd rather see seven and seven. I want to see a consistent approach to the plate from both days. And I think that would be huge. If you can put two great offensive performances, that would be huge going into the Round Rock Classic this weekend because it might boost your confidence a little bit, get you some momentum going, and you feel a little bit more comfortable going into that stretch of games over the weekend. Auburn left 25 guys on base over the weekend that's a little over eight a ball game which is a little under one an inning (laughs) that's That's a lot that's not good that is a lot at least people are seems like a lot at least maybe it's not it seems like a lot at least they're getting on base I mean I I, it could be worse when you say when you say it in the mindset that it's a little under less than one an inning yes like okay but you would have still liked to have seen them Still would have liked to have seen him cash in on a little bit more yeah. than just that. But they left 25 on base over the weekend. And I think that was a big part of Auburn's issues for being held at bay for so long on Saturday and Sunday. Of course, you look at the box score on Sunday, you see, and all you're looking at is what they did in terms of runs, hits, and errors. If you're just looking at that portion of the box score on Sunday, you're not looking at the total frame-by-frame look of the weekend. And you see Auburn had 11 hits, 6 runs. You're like, oh, okay, that's fine. But they were so cold for so long on saturday nearly the first half of the ball game and then you've got sunday where they didn't hit really at all they you know took 10 innings just to get that second run Auburn exploded on friday it makes the weekend look a little bit better but for me it's it's all about what Auburn does at the plate over these next two games and about how they're improving and is it really just rust of that first weekend because we know they've got talent we know they've got it all over the field your ryan blisses your josh hall bryson ware judd ward stephen williams we know these guys have the talent to hit Case and Howell. I mean, Case and Howell bat, batted 100 over the weekend and three starts. That's got to come up, man. This is Presbyterian. This is this is Little League for what you'll be facing in, you know, March when you're taking on some of these SEC teams. And this weekend is, is Little League yep. compared to what you're facing this weekend with Oklahoma, A&M, and Baylor. I mean, you got to do a little bit better than that. And tonight, tomorrow, good, good – uh, Let's call it get-right games. Good get-right games to kind of get the bats going. And I don't even know if it's I, – I agree with the sentiment on get-right, but I don't, I don't know if they're in a position where they have to get-right. It's not like they've lost yet. 
But I, I just want to see urgency at the plate and improve. just a general will to improve at what they're doing at their craft because this Auburn baseball team, they're going to need run support. This is a relatively young starting rotation in terms of overall experience in terms of collegiate starts. Richard Fitz only had like a couple of uh, of career starts. He may have only had one. Cody Greenhill had no collegiate starts before Friday. And then Mason Barnett had no collegiate starts before what he had what he did on Sunday. And so th- this in terms of, you know, career starts, this is not a starting week this is not a weekend rotation that has a lot of experience in that realm they're going to need run support especially in sec play that's going to be the difference between auburn being sixth in the sec west and even one spot higher in fifth because there's a log jam at one through four if auburn finishes fifth in the west i think they had a good season they're going to make a regional they're going to have a shot to go to a super regional they may even have a chance to host if they're fifth in the sec west probably a long shot but just depending on how deep the SEC gets this year. And the SEC is super deep at baseball as it is every year, considering there's like five teams in the top 10 or something like that, or five teams in the top 11, and they're like four of them are from the West. It's very difficult, very, very difficult when you're talking about what Auburn's SEC schedule is going to look like. And guess what? The number one team in the country will be coming, or one of the number one teams in the country. Of course, you know, you've got your Floridas, your Vanderbilts out there. Ole Miss is towards the top as well, and Ole Miss was the team I was speaking about Ole Miss is going to be coming to take on Auburn that first weekend uh, in SEC play. So there's a lot to build up to. And this week, this the, these two games against Alabama and um, I said I've got my eye on uh, I've got my eye on Holden Garen or the Auburn football commit at quarterback. But I've definitely got my eye on these next two games, Auburn baseball against Alabama and M. Because I want to see this Auburn team succeed. It's been a, you know almost two years since we've gotten to see some real baseball, and uh, that hasn't been shut down after 18 games. So I, I, I really want to see this team succeed because. You know how much experience they have coming off of that Omaha team from a couple of years ago. On the other side of this break, we'll talk some Auburn basketball taking on Florida tonight and what else is going on in the SEC. Stay with us here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Once again, call in at 334-321-1390. We're taking your phone calls. Phone lines are open. Find Levi and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. A big thank you out there to Jason Caldwell of Inside the Auburn Tigers and Auburn 24-7 for having hopped on the show with us earlier in the day. And uh, we appreciate it that time that he took out of his day to come and talk with us this afternoon if you missed that conversation go and find it wherever you get your podcast just search on the line and you will be able to find our podcast you can also find it on radio alabama sports.net auburn basketball in action tonight against florida something that we've noted several times throughout the show today auburn is favored tonight by two points by what seems to be a lot smarter people than you and I. Is that the way you're taking it, Levi? Oh, yeah. I'm always going to roll with the Sharps. I mean, that's just how I That's how I like to make picks. That's how that's I like how to view things. That's how you roll. That is exactly how, that's how I you roll. roll. That's you don't even care about the stats. You said, all right, the smart people out there, the sharp people out there, they, uh, they're they rolling with Auburn. It works more than it doesn't. And that's, that's the kind of mentality I go in with this. I see Auburn as a two-point favorite, and I'm looking at it going, how are they a two-point favorite? It actually makes no sense. I haven't really dug too deep. I'm sure there's something. The only thing I can think of is the fact that Florida has missed a lot because of COVID-19. They missed a couple games. And then you have the 
their most recent competition being Georgia, who, for all its purposes, Florida's just a much better team. They're going on the road, late night game, 7 p.m. Eastern time. I think that bodes, I think that's why, why you're seeing this. I think you are looking at a line that is kind of being based off of the fact that it's a late Tuesday game. You're on the road. And Auburn this year's played pretty well at home, six and four at home. And I mean, even some of those losses, they were really close. Ole Miss, Alabama, and just come to mind. I think Florida has also hadn't been great on the road, three and four on the road as well. So I think just looking at that, I think it's going to be on the road. It's late at night. I think the COVID kind of still lingers. You've seen a lot of teams that come off of a COVID break look a little sluggish. They looked a lot better against Georgia, but maybe it's a little bit different story when they're on the road in the jungle. A look over at this Florida basketball team at 11 and 6 overall, 7 and 5 in conference play. They're averaging 76.3 points per game, allowing 70.8, averaging 46.7% from the field, shooting the basketball. They block as many shots as Auburn does at 6.4 blocks a game. Auburn is 6.3. They steal the ball more than Auburn at 7.5 to 6.4 rebounding is a concern for florida but i think they play the game at a lot slower of a a lot slower of a pace than auburn does so that might account for less opportunities to get rebounds they're also shooting the ball a little bit better than auburn so there's not as many offensive rebounds to go around for that gator team florida and kenpom.com let's see where they're sitting at right now they are sitting at the well their counterpart florida state is at 12 but florida at 32 and once again 11 at 6 overall auburn uh, they have dropped now below 60. They've fallen some slots. They're down at 64 now at 11 and 12 overall. This Florida team is uh, kind of more of a balanced tempo. They are at 130th in the tempo ranking, so a little bit more on the fast side, but still pretty balanced. They're not, you know, ascribing to just one style of play there. They're going to, you know, kind of fit their game. You know, at times they're going to be moving fast when they're turning their opponents over. They're able to get out and run, but at other times they are able to thrive in the half court. And they're, in terms of efficiency, they're the 36th most efficient team on offense and defense for this Florida team. Auburn, on the other hand, uh, much, much worse on that defensive end of the floor. Offense, they can hang with Florida there, I think, but the defense is where Auburn might struggle tonight, keeping this Florida team out. I just ran through all those stats out there, and the betting line's still defying that completely. And sometimes that's just how it is. And maybe they're expecting a defensive bump like uh, they're expecting the defense to play better after a national call out of some sorts I mean there's a lot there's a lot of things that go into this I am going to roll that Florida's also been a pretty inconsistent team throughout this year and that's not I mean that's not saying much when you're talking about the SEC because who hasn't been inconsistent in the SEC this year in terms of basketball I don't know I'm I'm gonna roll with the Sharps I think Auburn's gonna get it done at home Still think it's going to be a close game. I think they'll probably win. I don't know. I'll go between four and eight, just kind of based off of what I'm looking at the lines and where that typically falls into. I think Auburn will probably win somewhere around like four, eight, four to seven range. Where do you think the point totals get into tonight? We talk about in the 70s? Oh, Auburn's playing, so it's over. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. I, if Auburn's playing, they're over all automatically because that defense. I don't know. Uh, so you're looking at the. I over- think this game's played in the 70s, maybe low 80s tonight. Well, yeah, the over/under set at like 155. So I mean, 70s and 80s is a pretty good guess if you're looking at that over/under total between both teams at 155. Around like 70s and 80s does. Seem I think about Auburn's accurate. defense is going to play better tonight. I don't think we're going to see 90 or 100 points from Florida. I think Auburn's going to stop them 
And I think they're going to play better. I'm not, not stop them. I think they're going to play better than they have been playing on defense. I, and I'm, I'm expecting around 70s and 80s. I think that's a fair adjustment. Now, if you saw 60s, if you see Florida in the 60s, that's great for Auburn. I mean, I think if they could hold them to around a little under 70, I think that's really good for Auburn. This Auburn defense got called out by Bruce Pearl after their most recent loss to LSU where they gave up more than 100 points. Look, you have to not try to give up more than 100 points. And if you... You borderline have to try to give up 100 points. I think maybe I should flip that, but... And if you... It's an effort thing. Well, you think about it, they gave up 50 in the first half. And That's 54 bad. in the second and half. Exactly. They come out and give 54 up in the second half. And, you know, we talked to Davis about it yesterday. It was funny. I had a conversation with his father after... After I got, you know, after I left the studio, and he was just digging in to the Auburn defense, just absolutely no adjustments whatsoever. And if there were adjustments, the players didn't, you know, they didn't act on those adjustments. They didn't work. Whoever's to blame on that, whether it's the coaching adjustments or the players not executing on defense. So I'm glad you went in that direction. Didn't happen because I'm not blaming the coaches one bit right now. I don't either. I think this coaching staff has been. I think this coaching staff has been coaching their tails off this year just to get this team to this point to have stayed engaged for so long but occasionally I see a trend out on social media where people really have this propensity to not want to blame the players look I know they're still kids to a degree I mean legally a lot of these guys are adults now or getting close to being adults if they're if they're 19 years old but by the time I was that age Yes, I made mistakes because I was young, but I knew right and wrong, and I knew, and I knew about work effort, and I and I knew about I knew about putting in, you know, I knew about work ethic and putting in effort and doing my best, and so no, that doesn't cut it for me as an excuse for this calling these guys young or kids. That's just not holding people accountable when people use that as an excuse. I have a hard time with that. And so, and that's never really f- flown for me. And I have a hard time putting the blame on the coaching staff right now for what we're experiencing at the moment because there are a lot of extenuating circumstances that they're dealing with this year. And I think that with the coaching staff calling out some defensive effort in the last game, I think it's you know it's about time that I got called out probably publicly because I think we've been seeing this for games now. This yeah, is a, this is a trend, not just something that reared its head. This is a trend. It needed to be called out. I mean, the defensive effort hasn't been. Hasn't been there. And I'm not going to sit there and I'm not going to blame either or. I'm not going to say it's the players or the coach's fault. I'm thinking it's a good combination of both. You're listening to On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Stay with us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We've got 30 minutes till the end of the show and the drive with Bill Cameron. We'll be following Gus after that here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Dan and Bill will be taking your calls, so be sure to call in. Their number the same as ours, and our phone lines are open as well, 334-321-1390. Once again, we want to hear from you. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Yesterday, like as we were getting off air, Tyler Shuck is headed to Texas Tech, that Oregon transfer quarterback that we were speaking about yesterday as possibly an option. 
to head to Auburn because Auburn was linked to him as like one of the second hottest team on his trail alongside Penn State. He ends up going to become a Red Raider. Then Auburn miss out. I mean, anytime you miss out, anytime you don't land talent, you're going to miss out. But I do think that they have a, they have a they have a competent starting quarterback in Bo Nix. Why do you why do you sigh before you said that? But, I think he's competent. I mean, he's competent, but I was trying to figure out the right word to right word to describe him as because he has shown flashes of being a great quarterback. He's shown flashes of being a bad quarterback. He's shown flashes of being a good quarterback. Like he's just been inconsistent. So I think that Bo Nix is. I mean, I think he's the guy moving forward. I think Bobo is going to make this guy a lot better than he has played, and he's played some pretty good football in his tenure at Auburn. Demetrius Davis coming in, I think he's a talented guy as well. You've, you know, we touched on Holden Jariner earlier, who's coming into the program next year. Um, anytime you miss out on a guy who started and led a team to a conference championship, it, it Pac-12 wasn't what it was this year, but he still took them to a New Year's Six game. And Tyler Shuck's a talented guy. You're miss, I mean, you're obviously missing out on a talent. What does that mean for Auburn? I don't know because I don't know what he would have even done at Auburn. The, the weird thing for me is I'm looking at this guy. He's a grad transfer with three years of eligibility left. My goodness. The thing that, I'm looking at is he's 6'5", 221. And yeah, again. Wouldn't my, shock me if by the time goodness. he gets to his end of his college career and some teams out there are going to be looking at him thinking, oh man, this guy's got a, this guy's got a nice frame, a big arm. I'm I'm surprised he went to Texas Tech though. I mean, I don't know why you'd want to go to Tumbleweed University out there <laughs> in the middle of Lubbock and play there. I just don't I just don't get that. I I would go anywhere but there. I mean, I guess it works. I mean, you got Patrick Mahomes came from there and nope nobody was talking about him. Nobody was talking about Baker Mayfield when he was there. The it's fact just, that Patrick Mahomes played at Texas Tech though is the reason why all those other quarterbacks were taken before him in that NFL draft. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I just yeah. don't think I mean Baker Mayfield had to transfer out of there mm-hmm. to go to Oklahoma and he got drafted number one overall. We've seen his career and how he's, you know, evolving into a very good NFL quarterback. Patrick Mahomes, obviously the most talented quarterback we have right now. I just don't I get that they can put out quarterback talent, but why would you make it harder on yourself? You're going to get noticed somewhere else above Texas Tech, even if it if it's staying at Oregon, if it's going. You'll get noticed at Penn State. You would get those no- guys yeah. put terrible quarterbacks in the league. Even the ones, even I mean, didn't Matt McGloin make it to the NFL for a little bit? Hey, Matt McGloin, XFL legend, Matt McGloin. What about Sackenberg? Oh uh, yeah, I don't want I don't want to talk about him. He. Talk, Trace, want, McSw- Trace McSwirly. <laughs> hey, McSwirly came out and played some meaningful minutes on, uh, I think, one of those Tuesday night games the Ravens and Steelers had to play when their uh, things got postponed. I think that was – he came in for an injured RG3, and he looked pretty okay in his debut. But, I mean, again, he's not a great NFL quarterback, but he – Trace McSwirly is probably the best one that's happened at Penn State, and he got put on the map for playing at Penn State. I just feel like that would have been a better fit for Tyler Shuck over going to Texas Tech unless he is just sold – that he can flourish and become Patrick Mahomes and get drafted, which nobody's Patrick Mahomes, let's be honest. Also, it seems like the great coaching talent has left Texas Tech as well. Yeah, he's in the NFL now. Who is even their head coach right now? Let's take a good, quick Google search because I don't even know that one off the top of my head. I just know it used to be... See, that's that's why Brian Harson is... Matt li- Wells. Matt Wells. See, Brian Harson's a little bit lucky because... <laughs> He, the only reason that he is the most attractive head coach in the nation right now is because Cliff Kingsbury left to the NFL. <laughs> I mean, Matt Wells, 8-14 and 14 at his record as a head football coach. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury or Ryan Gosling, you take your pick. 
There you go. I'm going Cliff Kingsbury. Wells came from Utah State. He's been head coach at Texas Tech since 2019. So two years now at Texas Tech. He's accumulated an 8-14 record there. He's 52-48 and as a head coach overall, 2-2 two and two in bowl games. I'm not... I'm not totally sold on him. I mean, getting... he's, he is sneaky handsome. I, he sold me on that. Come on now. <laughs> he's a sneaky handsome We're guy. We're talking about this man as a coach, not about his not his uh, his appearances. And so I, hey, that's part of selling. Let's bring this back though to to Auburn with asking the question: Did he miss out? So that now brings it to I. I don't know if there's too many other quarterbacks out there now. I know Joe Milton's out there. I think still from Michigan. I don't think Auburn should go after him. There's no one else better out there. For Auburn to go after, that's that's better than Bo Nix. I think the guy's safe with his job now, and I know there's been some. I mean, I thought he was safe. I thought he was safe there. anyway. I thought he was safe anyway. But yeah, one hundred percent. I saw Chuck came out into the transfer portal, and I was like, "There's no way this guy that people want to see this guy more than Bo Nix because what has he done? What has he done that's any different than Bo Nix? If not everything that he's done up to this point has been worse than Bo Nix. He won a conference championship. When this past year. Oh well, still though they get smacked by Iowa State in the you know bowl the, game. You know, and then, you, look, know they went, you know how I view went, quarterbacks. You know how I view quarterbacks. A ring on. versus a ring. You bring up the conference championship though. They were four and three this year. They won a ring. They were four conference and three. ring. Conference championship ring. Bo Nix didn't have any. And was Oregon the team that made it because somebody else couldn't play this year? Yeah, it was because uh, wasn't it Washington couldn't play. So Oregon didn't even win their division. But you know what they won? A ring. They did win the game. But still, I'm not. Mm, I, you can't get me there on this on this shut guy. And I know you're. I know you're messing with me right now. But still, <laughs> he's a talented. Just, he's a, in all seriousness. He's he got is potential, a but he's he doesn't have. It's not like you you compare the two quarterbacks. It's like Bo Nix is is every bit as talented with you know in terms of potential and everything, and and he's more talented than yeah. what he's shown on paper and on film. It's right not now. like you're bringing in a guy. Think of let's say those twenty. I just don't know why Auburn folks were drooling over this. Think of like twenty eleven Denver Broncos, where the previous year Tim Tebow, or maybe the twenty twelve, where Tim Tebow takes him to the playoffs, and the only reason he doesn't start next year is because you bring in a guy named Peyton Manning. You know, like there, there's not a guy out there that you're going to bring in that you're immediately looking at and saying this guy is unequivocally one hundred percent better than Bo Nix. There's not a guy out there that you can bring in that you are looking at that with complete certainty. There might be a guy that is better than Bo Nix, but very, very fringe, like very minuscule amounts, if that is the case. There's not a guy that you look at and go, you know what? This guy could come in. He's so much better than Bo Nix. I'm 100% starting him with certainty. It just does not exist. It doesn't exist. Some other college football news. Notre Dame want to rain on video gamers' parades. Notre Dame may not participate in the next NCAA football video game. At least right now, they're saying that they won't participate until some of those NIL rules are finalized, which NIL, basically the licensing rules and whatnot for players being able to benefit from their own license. I think this is an interesting stance considering um, I know that they want their players. I think I think the gist of base, the gist of it basically is that they want their players to be able to benefit when it comes around, but once again, EA Sports has made it known that they intend to move forward without the players' likenesses and whatnot. So I think that this is an interesting stance here from the university to say, hey, we don't want to be included until we figure out what's going on with the NIL. I like it. I like the move from Notre Dame. I really do. I think that it's, I think it's the right move to make. I, I think that 
it it takes some universities to get behind this for players to be able to you know market off their licensing and i think but why is this so and i'm just thinking about that i'm thinking through this with you right now why does it matter their stance compared to the video game to be able to get these guys you know their money one day if the school stance is that they want players to be able to benefit from their likeness that's fine regardless of whether or not there's a video game that would have been their stance before the video game existed i, I agree it, it's so a why lot not participate in the video game because i think it's more of a, a message it's saying hey you either got to get on this like we're not going to be a part of this but it's not ea sports fault it's not but i think it shows the ncaa that they're just like hey man look if you're not going to let this happen we're not going to be in this and Think about it from this way. But if, I don't if, think the NCAA cares what EA if, Sports does well, either, though. If, well, if Notre Dame doesn't participate, then EA Sports is going to be upset because it's Notre Dame. It's one of the most recognizable brands in college football. Then you have EA Sports saying, like, hey, we want to pay these guys so we can we want to we want to be able to pay some of these guys who are participating in our video games so they will participate in our video games. And then you have a situation where you have more people at the NCAA. It pretty much just puts pressure on the NCAA from a perspective of everybody is seeing what's happening. Think about Notre Dame fans who want to buy this game. They might not buy the game and they might, you're going to have a lot of traction. You're going to have a lot of people talking about hey, I want Notre Dame in this video game. Or maybe more schools get behind this. It's one of those things where it could be a small domino that leads to more teams following in the similar suit. And that's just going to get a lot of people behind this and a lot of people who are genuinely upset. I mean, the NCAA... I, I don't want to get into what my opinions are on them because that's... I just find it interesting that a school is taking the stance of we want our players in this game, like our actual players, and we want them paid for it. And I think it's great. I mean, yeah, I, I haven't seen that before. I haven't seen I haven't seen a stance where they said we want our players in the game and we want the players paid. I know Northwestern a few years ago, which is you know kind of what caused the video games to stop. They wanted the players to be compensated for their likeness but they never were like hey we're not doing this unless our players are in this game and I really like that from Notre Dame because I think it's the right move to make I would not be shocked again purely speculative I wouldn't be shocked if more teams rallied behind this and did the exact same thing and I think this could be this could be huge this could be huge for players I mean it's early this this could be nothing in a few weeks it could be absolutely nothing in a few weeks it also could really snowball into something big and put a lot of pressure on the NCAA. So University of Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick said that they're not going to provide their name, logos, anything branding-wise to EA Sports until the rules that determine whether athletes will be able to receive a cut of the game's profits until they're finalized. Okay, so until all the NIL stuff is finalized, they said they're not, we're, not giving you, we're not giving you any of this, any permission whatsoever to put us in this football game. Um, the NCAA, though, it, it has indicated their intentions to change the rules. We just don't know what to what degree the guys will be able to receive money from endorsement deals and, and things of that nature. The statement released by the Notre Dame athletic director, Swarbrick, he said, quote, as those rules are developed, it is our strong desire that student athletes be allowed to benefit directly from allowing their name, image, and performance history to be used in the game. So, Notre Dame's taking the stance that we want them in the game. We want these guys to benefit from it. I just, I, I, maybe it's just me personally not being able to wrap my mind around this. I totally understand what you're saying that Notre Dame's trying to like do this thing for their kids and for their student athletes. 
I just find it interesting because they're unrelated. It doesn't need to happen. Like, regardless of whether or not athletes can be paid, the video game can still happen without them. No, agreed. It's just, it's more of a message. It's more of a sending a message like, hey, NCAA, take notice. Which is and fascinating. Do this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an approach. And I think that's going to be an interesting story moving forward. I think it's going to become a bigger topic than it is right now. I kind of have a feeling that it's not going to. I think it's just going to evolve into something different. I think you're going to see some more teams kind of get behind this, unless unless some of those rules come out that you know kind of fix this and kind of sweep it under the rug. Also, don't know how the NCAA is going to approach this because they're Poorly. very opposed to unions. They're very opposed to unions right now. At least that's been their stance in the past. And when you look at professional sports leagues, their player unions help negotiate these agreements with your EA Sports and your 2Ks that make these video games. The video game developers, they're the ones who organize these deals to get guys their money to get these guys paid. And the NCAA is kind of opposed to that. So I'm wondering who's negotiating all that. Is the university negotiating it on the ba- on the behalf of their players? That's going to lead to a whole lot more headache for all this to make it happen. Of course, EA Sports announced their commitment, you know, half a month ago, maybe, you know, several weeks ago that they wanted to make the video game, which is exciting. But I'm hoping if, if the NCAA creates all these, you know, I'm hoping if there's all these hoops to jump through that the NCAA creates, I'm hoping that still the video game can happen with all the teams in it and that the teams still hop on board, even if their efforts fail and being able to get athletes some, uh, if, if they can't get the athletes in the bag, you know what I'm saying? So like... It, it, there's a lot to unfold here, which is probably a big reason why EA Sports said in the coming years in one of their tweets when they said the game would be returning, this may not be coming back. This is definitely not coming back for this fall. They already said no. that. You kind of wonder if it's coming back, you know, fall 2022. You kind of wonder if, that, if that's the timetable or if it's fall 2023 by the time it comes back. You just don't know. And a lot of it over these next coming months uh, heading into that fall season because I think they said they wanted to try and have some of these rules finalized by this upcoming fall. And we'll see. We'll see if they get that done and you know how that unfolds because that is going to affect the trajectory of this video game moving forward that a lot of people are super excited about in the sports universe. We wrap up online on the other side of this break here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up the show here on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. The Drive with Bill Cameron following us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight before we wrap up this afternoon's show. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Get in touch with your emotions with a new episode of This Is Us on NBC at 8. A new series set to debut, CW has its pilot episode of Superman and Lois on at 7. Tuesday night college basketball isn't easy for top teams on the road tonight. Beginning at 6 on FS1, number 5 Illinois is at Michigan State. Head over to the Big 12 on ESPN2 with number 10 West Virginia at TCU. In the SEC, LSU at Georgia on SEC Network. And Florida at Auburn on ESPN. At 7 on Big Ten Network, Penn State at Nebraska. Moving to the 8 p.m. time slot, number 7 Oklahoma is at Kansas State on ESPN2. Ranked teams collide on ESPN between number 17 Kansas and number 14 Texas. Ole Miss at number 24 Missouri is on SEC Network. And in the NBA, kick it on TNT with two games starting at 6.30 with the Celtics at the Mavericks and at 9 the Trailblazers at the Nuggets. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. 
Last segment here of On the Line. Noah Garner, Levi Fitzwater with you. We'll be out of here in about three minutes. So not that much time left here in our edition of the show here today on Tuesday. Wrapping up the show now. Alabama basketball up to number six in the AP poll. They're creeping up there right behind Illinois. Ohio State at four, Michigan at three, Baylor at two, and Gonzaga at one. How far is this Crimson Tide team away from being a one seed right now? There is a, There are two pretty much everywhere in bracketology. How far is this Crimson Tide team from being a one seed? I think they're pretty – I think they're far. I mean, they're not – they're the number six team. They're not that far away. I just think there are teams that are better than them that I don't think that they could knock out. Like, I, I think the top three are solidified in my brain. I don't think that there's a way that it's not Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan unless – one of those teams has just an absolutely cataclysmic fallout. And it would have to be Michigan. I think even Gonzaga could drop a game in their conference tournament and even Baylor because the Big 12, that is a loaded conference. Here's the thing. The Big 10 is so loaded. And there are and that, three teams in the top five. between like the Three through five is all Big 10 teams. It's Michigan three, Ohio State four, and then Illinois at five. All it takes is one of those teams – to lose a couple of games to some good teams in the league because there aren't many bad teams in the Big Ten. There's only like a couple. And uh, most of the teams there are ranked. Like half of the conference is ranked. It only takes like one or two losses there for them to fall behind Alabama. Really only one loss for them to fall behind Alabama if Alabama keeps winning. Alabama will have to win the SEC tournament. Like they have to run the table here. But if Alabama runs the table, I find it hard to believe that all three – or really two of those three, because they really need two to drop because Alabama would then be able to climb to the top four over them. For Alabama to jump two spots and get into that top four, I just find it hard to believe that two out of those three Big Ten teams are just going to be perfect running the table. I mean, that's true. It, it would be difficult. I could see a situation where Michigan just... I, I could see a situation where Michigan comes in in the conference tournament, and I think Michigan's probably going to run the rest of this way out they've looked pretty dominant and they've kind of getting in a groove since that kind of that head scratcher of a loss at minnesota that was at the beginning of that was at the beginning of their conference season yeah i mean that that feels ages five ago. in a row since then there are ages ago i think that i think the most likely situation is ohio state in my opinion to just kind of well they've already go neck lost, and neck just saying they're on a yeah. game losing streak because they just lost to michigan now and they that were, penalize them no i but. don't think so whatsoever because they were right there with them the entire way i think i think they could keep it close um keep an eye on oklahoma if they if oklahoma makes a deep run in the tournament and plays at baylor very closely in their conference tournament after running the table we've seen they've already beat alabama before they could probably hop up to that one line as well. Ohio State still has to play. They're on the road against Michigan State on Thursday. Which, by the way, Michigan State's playing Illinois today. It's a brutal midweek there. Michigan State's terrible. Well, they're 11-9, but still. I'm sorry. They're terrible for what Michigan State has been putting out. I should should have put that with context. Then they'll host ninth-ranked Iowa, who's trending upward right now. And then they'll host fifth-ranked Illinois. So not only is there a matchup there between Illinois and Ohio State, which if it goes similar to what that Ohio State-Michigan game went, then maybe there won't be a whole lot of movement. But I still think there's a lot of shaking going on in the Big Ten still. And Alabama could get there. Watch out for Duke. They're in the first four out. They're coming in. They're They're winning the whole thing, baby. They are hot. I would be shocked if they don't make the tournament. That's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back tomorrow, everybody. So long. You know where to find us.